Hello, I'm Adam Robertson and you're listening to This Is Irobox, the Rangers podcast. Please stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. And sit down. Hello and welcome to This Is Ibrox, the Rangers podcast. My name is Scott Patterson and as part of our exclusive selection of interviewees, for this pod I'm delighted to welcome 90s Dutch winger Peter Hoogstra along to speak to us about his career, his move to Rangers, his time at the club and in the city of Glasgow and all of the wonderful stuff he's went on to do since. Peter, hello, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, happy to join and... Uh, uh, Always nice to talk about Rangers Ibrox, so I'm ready for it. Good man, you're more than welcome. So listen, it's obviously a unprecedented time across the world just now. Um, you're in Uzbekistan, yes. um, which we'll cover a little bit later as the as the chat goes on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the the current COVID nineteen problem is is affecting your daily duties where you are just now? Yeah, it's like in most places of the world, it's completely disrupted. Uh, here in Tashkent, where I live, uh, the whole city came to a complete still stand. Uh, it's a total lockdown. You cannot go anywhere. You have to stay in. You can only go to the supermarket quickly with one person. And uh, yeah, so no training. We train the players online at the moment. Uh, we make videos, we make programs they can do at home. Um, yeah, so at the moment that's the situation. So, as a as a coach, you'll find that the your daily duties are obviously um, quite disrupted by this. Um, you'll obviously be keeping in touch with the players and the, the sort of other members of the coaching staff on a regular basis. I would assume, yes. Yes, yes, and and in a in a way, it's also a time to get a little bit more contact with individual players because. Normally you see them in a group and now you have to contact them one by one and it gives also opportunity to coaches, to, to myself, to to ask a little bit more, to speak a little bit more uh, what kind of problem they have with the training, uh, how is the situation at home. So, Cruyff, Johan Cruyff used to say every disadvantage have advantages. Absolutely. So, uh, that's how I look at it as well now. And I assume you personally, you're well, and there's 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 nothing that you're overly concerned about over there. There's been no symptoms that you've received yourself, no. No, no, luckily not. Uh, uh, the situation in Uzbekistan is not too bad. They were very quick to react, uh, the government, and in this kind of countries, they can lock down very quickly. So we have very few cases and very few people, luckily enough, who didn't survive it. So. That's good, but yeah, the, the, still the the rules are strict, and you have to stay inside. And yeah. yeah, after four weeks, it gets a little bit boring, of course. Absolutely, I think from a, a personal point of view, and and here in Scotland just now, we are experiencing similar difficulties yourself. And I've got two young kids, and um, they they are sort of they're into a routine as such, as far as nursery and school and various cares concerned um, and that has been completely blown out the water by this so you're very aware that there's a, a huge change on for everyone from a wee person to an older person um, it's a it's a unprecedented as I say yeah yeah in, in my time I never experienced anything like it so it is strange and uh, but yeah we have to cope with it and we have to make the best of it eh? you have to stay positive indeed absolutely so Again, welcome to the podcast. Um, early career in Holland. You started off at Groningen for a couple of seasons before moving to Vindam and then eventually 20 Eskede. Um, were you always used at these clubs as a as a left winger as you as your yes. early career started yes. out? Yeah. Yes. Uh, in my family, all my uncles. Uh, we only had left wingers, so there was only one option for me when I started <laughs> playing football. It was left wing. <laughs> I had uh, one coach. He said, "No, no, no. I, I think you should be midfielder." But I, and my parents as well. We said, "No, no, no, no. I have to be left winger." So, so did your father? Sorry, did your father play professionally, Peter? No, no. My uncles played very high in amateur football in Holland. Okay. 
and they were always left winger. So for some reason, everybody had in his head that I should become a left winger. That's how it went. <laughs> <laughs> Almost naturally. Yes, yes. No, it was not really naturally. I could have been a midfielder also, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially when I look back at it. But uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't mind. It was uh, it was good. It brought me a lot. So afterwards, I'm certainly happy about it. Absolutely, of course. So again, early career sort of stuff. Um, when you were coming up through Groningen and Vindam and then eventually 20, um, was there any coaches that you worked on in, in either of those three clubs indeed that had a, an influence on what you would then go on to do now or even as part of your playing career? Yeah, I think every coach you have in your career, especially when you're young, has an influence. Uh, uh, I had the one at Groningen. He took me to Veendam uh, when I uh, was recovering from an injury I had early on when I was 18. And uh, he, he helped me at Veendam to come back to my best form. And that's when I was bought by FC, by FC Twente, one of the better teams at that moment in Holland. We had... Very famous Dutch coach, later national team manager, Kees Rijvers. Yeah. He helped me a lot. Uh, he was also more or less uh, a player who played on the wings. He played attackingly. So he gave me a lot of good tips. And I played that three years and then I went to Rangers already. So uh, you know, they, they helped me a lot. Uh. So, as you've said, 20 um, in Holland, across to Glasgow, how did the move to Rangers happen? How, how did that all materialize? <laughs> yeah, it was also a strange story. Uh, in my last year in FC Twente, I became an international player for Holland. Um, in that time, there was no Bosman. So I was, I was at Twente, I was playing for a very low salary, a very minimum contract. But the rules at that time were, if you wanted to go to if somebody wanted to buy you, they even when your contract was finished, they have to buy you and they could use, especially for Holland, the amount you earn times 10 or 12 at that time. They used a factor. They calculated it. And I cost 3 million guilders. That's now not too much money. Then it was a lot. Um, but if you went to another country, not Holland, you... Uh, only I only costed one million. So I was talking very seriously with PSV, and uh, at that time, in '88, they played, uh, they won the uh, European Champions Cup. So they were a very good team, and it was for me would have been a very good move to go there. Who was in charge but, of Eindhoven at that point, Peter? And Hiddink, uh, Hiddink was it wow. in charge at that time? So. They blocked that, 20, because, uh, yeah, 20, they asked too much money. So I said, okay, then I go to another country. And yeah, soon as met my agent and he said, I'm looking for a left wing. And my agent said, okay, uh, I have somebody who wants to go. And so he said, okay, let him come over to Italy. We have a training camp there. I was there for uh, uh, a week in Il Choco yeah. in, the, in, in Italy. And he said, okay, well, you I'm not, uh, it looks good, but I want to see you in a game in Scotland. So I flew to uh, to Glasgow. We played a closed door game at Hamden against Queen's Park. And uh, after that, he said, okay, you can sign. So that's how it went, a long way, but uh, it was good. <laughs> so when you, when you were at Il, uh, Il Choco, that was the, the sort of traditional camp that... Um, that we used for years, wasn't it? When, we were, when they were looking to to just get the guys into a, a manner of fitness prior to the season starting, um, it was a, a, a sort of regular haunt for the guys to go back and forward there. Yes, it was. Yeah. After that, I went a few more times there. So, yeah, it was it was a good place to have a, have a pre-season. Yeah. So one thing we get uh, <coughs> in Scotland, uh, we we hear a lot of people speak about um, our club is uh, important that they have Rangers fans in the changing room, in the dressing room, when you were, of course, with us, um, guys like Gorham, Goff, Brown, Ian Ferguson, Durant uh, and McCoist were all around big Rangers men. Um, did they help you settle into life in Glasgow when you arrived in 1990? Uh, when I arrived, I was completely green. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't have a credit card. I, I didn't have any... Uh, 
any pounds or whatever uh, because I came from Il Choco. I wasn't prepared. I had to fly straight from to Glasgow. So, you know, I had some people who helped me a lot uh, in Glasgow. Some of the players uh, also, they helped me a lot. I, to be honest, I had a lot of problem in the beginning to understand the Scottish boys. That's hard to believe. <laughs> I thought my English was okay. In school, I passed my exam, but when I came to Glasgow, it was completely different. <laughs> it took me two months, and then I, I, I could understand what they meant and what they said. But no, they were good guys. We had a lot of fun. Uh, they helped me a lot. Uh, yeah. After training, they, they took me everywhere. I had to buy some clothes. At that time, Rangers, you had to wear a shirt and tie. Course, as it should be. Um, I never wore a shirt and tie before, so <laughs> I had to buy that. Uh, I think Princess Square was the the place they brought me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, the garderobe was filled again, and uh, I could I could sample the life of a Rangers player. Absolutely. So you spent five years at Ibrox, five successful years, um, and looking at your career, it looks like these are. <laughs> They're the club that you spent the most amount of time. So there must have been something about it that that just made it feel like home a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, what made you sort of hang around for that longer period of time than what you did anywhere else? Yeah, of course. Uh, when you arrive at a club like Rangers, you you see how big it is, how 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 the supporters, uh, the support abroad. Um, the people coming over, uh, the people that react to you when they hear you go to ranges. Uh, when you look at the history, eh, everything feels big. So it's a, it's very nice. It's very it's an honor to be part of that. And uh, also the the team was very good, very strong, very uh, coherent. Uh, and the yeah. players were like friends to each other. Although there was a big competition for places uh, they always were supporting each other so that was was good and uh, cool. yeah when you win medals like we did at that time uh, yeah it's very addictive and it's you always want worth to it, stay it? yeah it's <laughs> worth it and you want to stay so so that, so I did I signed uh, a new two year contract after two years so it was four years and yeah the, then the last season was a little bit strange uh, had a little bit of a, a run-in with Walter. I, I had one interview in Holland where uh-huh. I said, uh, yeah, if I don't play, I better leave. And Walter took offense to that. So he <laughs> refused to offer me a new contact, but he also refused to let me go on the free. So the fifth season, I signed month to month. Right. Till uh, the end of January. And then I uh, I went to uh, to Japan to play. So I'll, I'll tell you, you're a, you're a very brave man. I I occasionally see Walter Smith walking back and forward to Ibrox on match day, and he, he doesn't look like he's the sort of guy you really want to to noise up, particularly. So um, kudos to you. <laughs> no, but yeah, but it's also not clever for me, of course, that uh, to say to threaten. It's like a little bit like a threat. I can understand now when I'm managing myself. I can understand the reaction of the of the manager. If you don't want to play for this club, okay, then you go. But you cannot go for free at that no, time. So that was a little bit strange. Yeah. In the end, when he felt also that there was interest from Japan to to take me, huh. he said, oh, yeah, "If if the, if it falls through, you have to come to me and we we make a contract for you." <laughs> so he so, also because I played good in that last season and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we both were too stubborn to say, okay, let's let's bury uh, the grudge and uh, yeah. just sign a new contract. Yeah, and we we both a little bit too stubborn for that, I think. But still, I, have a, I had I had a great relationship with Sooners and with Walter Smith. So uh, if I look back at it, it's yeah, it had to be like this, and uh, that's how it went. <laughs> But that's what I was going to say. So, I mean, you you had the the opportunity to to work with Graham Soonish and Walter Smith, um, Walter early in his managerial career, um, and you could argue relatively early in in Soonish's managerial sphere as well. Um, was it clear that these guys would be as successful 
um, they, as they, have, they went on to be, particularly Walter, who went on to be arguably one of our most successful managers, certainly the most successful I've seen in my time. Um, and and Sunis kind of um, broke the back for Rangers and Scottish football in many different respects. Was it quite clear that these guys were um, really, really driven coaches and driven individuals? Oh yeah, certainly they were both driven. They were com- they were both completely different personalities. Uh, but I think uh, with Sooners breaking the ice and uh, Walter Smith backing uh, up and continuing, I think that had to be the right order. Yeah, when when Walter was assistant, he, he was a different. Uh, yeah, he was different in the group. Then when he had to take over, and and that's normal. Uh, that's how it how it is. The role of an assistant manager is different than the role of the manager. So, and he did well. He it took him a few months, uh, but we had a good team, and the team helped him as well yeah. to 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 settle in as a manager. And uh, after that, he took over and he built on, and uh, especially bringing in some very good players, uh, and that that had could continue the success we had. I'm going to ask you about your first old firm game at Ibrox. Um, I think for uh, a European person coming to to Glasgow to watch the old firm game, um, it must be quite eye-opening to sit in the stands and watch it. I think to to be there and be part of it on the turf um, must be something really quite incredible. And I don't think it's something you can really quite appreciate unless you've done it yourself. Can you tell us a bit, little bit more about that day? Yeah, that's also strange. Uh, I never seen a game before, so the first time I was in a in the stadium for a Rangers Celtic, it it was a real game, and I was in the starting lineup, yeah. and I, I just played my own game. Of course, there's a lot of, uh, more noise, and of course, uh, I know that's a rivalry, but I played my own game, and I was even elected man of the match for that game. Absolutely. But when I when I evaluate it and I look back at it, I thought, oh, that is special. Yeah. So I never played as uh, relaxed an old firm game again after this first one, and probably the first one was my best one I played in. So, so, <laughs> but then you get into the hurly burly of it, and yeah, you get into the pace, and you get also crazy. I, I remember one, yeah, a red card I got. <laughs> for kicking, uh, for kicking somebody. Uh, so yeah, it's it's these are strange games, special games. I also remember a semi-final we played in uh, a very rainy Hamden. Uh, David Robertson got sent off, uh, right. yeah. and after ten minutes already, and we had to play with ten men. I, I had to do the left wing all by myself. But, uh, so you were just, left back as well, of course, at that point. Yes, yeah. I was left back, left wing. I was <laughs> I never run as much in one game as in that one. <laughs> but uh, Koisti scored and we won the game. Uh, so we went to the final and it was it was very very good feeling. One of the best games, one of the best feelings I ever had about after the game. Anyway, it's funny you mentioned that Martin, um, one of my colleagues on the podcast, spoke a couple of weeks ago um, to to David Robertson. They spoke very fondly. Um, of of that night as well. He also he he obviously mentioned the fact that he um he got himself dismissed on uh, on the night. He didn't. He was quick to not mention the fact that you had to do a lot of his donkey work for the for the rest <laughs> of the game. Certainly, he certainly never mentioned that. I remember watching that game, um, and it was a it was a horrible horrible night. You're absolutely right. I almost yeah. remember McCoy um the the goal that he scored that kind of took a long long time to just drift over yeah, the line yeah. because the ground was so saturated with rain it was a it was a really horrible night so it's it's interesting to hear you talk about how you try to keep um play your own game in in the the old film um in old film ties you must be very aware that uh playing at Ibrox against Celtic um, maybe takes on a different, pers- or you rather take on a different persona if you are playing maybe Hamilton at Ibrox or Hearts at Ibrox for that matter. The the atmosphere, the general adrenaline, m- there must be a, a, a difference in that sense, yeah? Oh yeah, big difference, yeah. It's only when you go into the, through the tunnel, the noise that, that meets you when you reach the field, it's already, 
yeah, uh, much much louder than an, in a normal game. The build up to the game, of course, the whole week, the papers, uh, the fans, uh, everybody talks about it. And uh, afterwards, also, and the, the, when you win, uh, the, the talk afterwards is very good. But if you lose, uh, yeah. the talk afterwards not so good. Fortunately, in my time, we didn't lose much. So, uh, <laughs> indeed, we remember it well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in the, the, the sorry five years, I'll not cover the the full five years you were Ibrox because you rightly say it was a really successful time for you. Um, you've bagged a lot of medals and you, and you had a great time. I want to focus in on the 1992-93 European Cup run, um, where we played Lingby and Leeds and then got into that sort of group stage where we played uh, Bruges and, and Marseille. Um, the Leeds game was obviously given uh, huge publicity with it being the sort of battle of britain etc um but importantly of course there was no away fans allowed in ibrox or Elland road can you remember much about these ties peter yeah both ties were very uh yeah very hyped uh, there was a big hype uh, a lot of tension comparable to the old firm games but then because it was in europe it was even more special Indeed. so uh, Everybody talked about the Battle of Britain, and and that's how it felt. But 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 we had a group at that time that always was ready to take the challenge, and yeah, from the first game, from the first minute in the first game, I was then a substitute in that game, and uh, I came on later on in the, in the match. But um, you could feel the determination already before the game. The, the players were ready for it. They wanted to show themselves. This was the opportunity to do it, to show yourself into Europe, to show yourself into Britain. Uh, and and uh, they did well. They came back. Uh, they kept into the game. They were ready for the second game. Uh, second game, I was in the stand. I, I didn't play. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the whole atmosphere also at Ellen Road was electric. And we scored early on. And they never, it was never in doubt, really, when you looked at the game. It was very, very strong performance also in the away game. Yeah, and I think at that point, um, Leeds had a, a, a lot of um, decent players. Um, dare I say, Gordon Strachan was obviously in their team. They had Gary Speed as well, who was a, was a wonderful midfielder. Um, and of course, Gary McAllister, who scored at Ibrox, on current assistant manager. He scored an absolute perler at Ibrox, if I remember right. It was a really, really good goal. Mm-hmm. Um, the two goals that we scored at Ellen Road were excellent, in particular McCoist's um, diving header. Um, yeah. The second well, one. Also Hadley, also. Yeah, yeah Hadley absolutely. was also. Yeah. So these were these must have been exciting times to be to be playing at Rangers, knowing that we were doing well domestically. Um, and as as that was going on, we also had the this European run going on into the group stages, and we're in with Marseille, Bruges, and. And other which escapes me just now. You scored uh, in Moscow. Bruges, if memory serves. Moscow. Yeah. You scored in Bruges, didn't you? I did. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, a game I have good memories of. Uh, also, team-wise, we played a very strong away game there. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, the f- first few minutes we were a little bit under pressure. And uh, Bruges was a good team at that time. Um, but we also fought ourselves into the game and yeah, we were unlucky to go 1-0 down. And the second half was probably one of the best 45 minutes I've ever played with the team, part of this team. So determined, uh, so strong, uh, fighting for every ball. And uh, in the end, I felt even a little bit unlucky that we only scored one. Yeah. Um, because we really dominated them away from home in the second half. And uh, even when we had some injuries, even when we had some people missing uh, with some young players in the team, we, 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 we really played as a, as a unit and we were very determined. Uh, we played uh, one of the best games, I've, I've, of the best second halves I've ever played in. Yeah. The... The big question clearly has to be the double header against Marseille. Two fantastic games of football for 
two entirely different reasons. I remember us going to the velodrome and looking at the the Marseille team. Then they had a lot of fantastic players, uh, guys like Sozzi and Basil Bowley, who of course signed for Rangers eventually. They did the Deschamps, Rudy Vola, Alan Boxic. They also had um, the boy Pele that played for them as well. Um, and we were more than a match for them uh, in the velodrome. Durant's goal over there was was a wonderful effort. When you look yeah. at it now, um, it's perhaps one of the sweetest bullies ever struck. It was a great goal, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It, uh, I, I even felt that the away game, we played better than the, the home game. The home game, a little bit overawed by, by the names, I think. Uh, also, they played very well. Uh, that We were lucky to, to score the equaliser, although it was a very good goal. But uh, the away game in Marseille, yeah, we were certainly equal. That's how it felt on the on the pitch, anyway. Yeah. And 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 then the draw was more than uh, right, I think. But Marseille went on to the final and they beat AC Milan. Uh, so that was the team to beat at that time. So that says enough about Marseille as well that they were a, gra- a very good team at that time. Yeah. I think there's there's uh, there is a feeling amongst parts of the fans that we were almost cheated out of getting into the final after all the things that happened with Bernard Tapie, etc. As a as a player who was involved in that sort of uh, period of time, do you ever think that it was a missed opportunity for you to get to the final as account of what they were up to, or, or do you just see it as the game was we, we lost the game effectively? No, to be honest, it, it feels a little bit like that, yeah, that you cheated yeah. a little bit because Marseille won all of a sudden. They won 6-0 from, what was it, Dynamo Moscow or CSKA yeah. Moscow. Um, and there was a good team. We had uh, all kinds of problems with that team. So yeah. it was not normal to for, to for Marseille to so easily win 6-0. That, so, yeah, we always felt something was wrong with that game, but... Yeah, what can you do? You can only uh, remember the performances you we did ourselves as a team, yeah. and 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 we know ourselves as players, but also supporters, that we were very close to the very top in Europe at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, to to get the opportunity to to mix it with guys like uh, Desai and Boli, Frank Sozzi, yeah. all real leaders in their game at that point across Europe. So it would have been a huge thing for you guys to come up toe-to-toe with these guys and, and not let yourself down and, and really give them a game. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So so we, we, we can still be proud of that. and We have the very good memory about that season, uh, not only because of the Champions League, but also because we won the, the treble and we were, I think, on the 44... Uh, um, game uh, streak not to lose so That's right. so so it was a very special season where we felt yeah invincible almost yeah oh. I think that that period of time that it was there was a lot of strong-minded guys just around the club in general wasn't there I mean being led by Walter in the first instance certainly but um, I think there was a lot of just strong-minded Rangers men if you like yeah. in and around the club that were, were, were driving everyone on yeah, but also guys like uh, Stuart McCall and, uh, of course, uh, John Brown and, uh, and Richard Goff, uh, th- that kind of guy, the, the English players, uh, Gary Steven, Gary St- uh, Trevor Steven, uh, good players, yeah, and, 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 but also determined players. They wanted to win. Uh, some of these 44 games we were 1-0 down and then they put, they looked at each other and they put up two gears in tempo, yeah. and then we didn't play till one one, but we played a two one or three one, and then everybody looked at each other again and said, "Okay, now we think about the next game already <laughs> and like calm yeah, down a little bit." So, yeah. but but it was very determined yeah, at that time. I, I many times I still, when I now coach teams and wh- when I played in other teams afterwards, it's it's still something I try to. To bring in and, and I think a lot about it, how I can uh, tell these stories to players and how I can um, yeah, bring these players to that same determination. So, yeah, yeah of course, uh, it was special. Yeah. 
So fast forward to 1995 and suddenly you leave Rangers. Now, I know we, we've, we kind of spoke about this briefly a little while ago. Um, I actually um, stay close to um, where Brockville Stadium used to be, um, where he scored uh, the two goals against Falkirk in a 3-2 victory there. That night or that following day, there was almost a, a report broke that you were gone, you were away, you were that was it, you were away to Japan. How did that move come around and how did you feel about really not getting the opportunity to say goodbye properly? Yeah, of course, that was, that was uh, yeah something that I regret. Uh, although with scoring two game goals in your last game, it's a sort of goodbye as well, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I knew already uh, two weeks before that the Japanese uh, wanted to sign me. We agreed more or less. They agreed with Rangers to, to pay them a, a fee. But Rangers said, no, no, we, we don't want to leave you to let you go straight away because we need you for the coming two, three games. So they tried to delay it. And I played these three games. Uh, of, of course, I said, hey, what happens if I get injured or whatever? I said, oh, no, no, no problem. We Then we take the contract the Japanese are giving you. Wow. <laughs> so then I said, ooh, then I had to think <laughs> again. <laughs> Uh, because yeah, I, of course I loved Rangers and it was it was a good time. But uh, I also gave my word already to the the Dutch coach Wim Janssen, who was then the coach at uh, <laughs> at the Japanese team. Later on, he went to Celtic. Uh, yeah. Everybody know that. So um, so I, I also had I couldn't retract my word to him. So I had to go. But although it yeah it always hurts, of course, when you have to leave something good for something yeah. uh, something uh, yeah you don't know yet but I, I always have the memory and I have still many people I'm close with in Glasgow and Scotland so yeah, it's been a great time did you see the opportunity to to go to Japan as uh, just something to try and and almost hope that it works from memory um I don't know if at that point Gary Lineker was playing in Japan but I know he had been um, so I don't know if in, in that point the, the Japanese football was something that was effectively taken off. The, was that a good time to, to to head towards that part of the world to play football? Yeah, that was the, the hot time. It was uh, at the time that the Japanese and the Koreans uh, rivaled about uh, who was going to organize the World Cup. Right, OK. And especially Japan, they took all the big stars, um, all the big Brazilians, they took them to Japan. Uh, so I, I was playing with Dunga, against Dunga, Leonardo, uh, Sampaio, uh, all kinds of good players. Zinho played there. Almost half of the team that was world champion in uh, 94 played at that time in, in Japan. Uh, some very good Germans playing there. Um, Later on, Gary Lineker also went there. Yeah, it was yeah. after that I left already again. So I had two great years also in Japan. It was uh, exciting in the All-Star Games. I played together with all these big stars. So excellent. Buch, Buchwald, uh, Bein, uh, yeah, the, the Brazilians. Uh, yeah, it was it was a nice time. Yeah. So did you find at, at, at without knowing what age they maybe the Brazilians were, did they see the move to Japan almost as a I don't want to say a last payday, but also a, maybe a time when their career was beginning to just drop slightly and they were using it to almost, I don't know if fill their bank accounts the correct way, but they were, they were using it as an opportunity to still play, but maybe not at the high level that they were used to previously. No, I can see most of these Brazilian guys who played in Brazil when they became world champion, they then had offers from Europe, but also from Japan. And the Japan offer was probably better. So yeah, many of these guys, many of these guys were not old. Leonardo later on went to Europe, uh, uh, played for AC Milan. Uh, um, so he's now still working at AC Milan. So yeah. uh, oh, they, they were not in the at the end of their careers. They were still in in full bloom at that time. So it was a very strong league at that time to play in, and uh, a lot of games, a lot of traveling, but. Uh, yeah, also 
it was nice to be part of it at that time. Of course. Uh, 1996 comes and the opportunity comes up for you to return to Groningen, where it all all sort of started for you. Yeah, I was, uh, because Wim Janssen left uh, in Hiroshima, so I also left after two years. um, And uh, because the Japanese season finishes in December, and so the not many clubs were uh, wanted to invest in in a, in a new player. So I was six months on loan at Groningen. I asked for that. Uh, they were in relegation problems, so they asked a few older players to come back to help them. So we did, and I played that for six months. And then I went to Belgium yeah. to the to Lierseska. There was the the Belgian champion at that time. So I played there also Champions League. We won the cup. We won the Super Cup. So. I was lucky enough to 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 play in teams that were quite successful. Also in Japan, we were playing two times the, the cup finals, so we had a good team there. Also, it was, it was I was lucky in that way. You've got a real medal hall, haven't you? I mean, you you really have. Um, you've got a really decent trophy cabinet behind you. It's a, a huge testament to the dedication you've had in your career. I mean, you're talking about someone who's played in various different countries around the world and I think correct me if I'm wrong you've won a country, you've won a, a medal in in every country you've you've played in yeah yeah I did yeah excellent. so that that was good yeah. indeed that's excellent great stuff yeah so the I'd like to move on to some questions about your international career if I can now um you made your debut for Holland against Italy in 1988 Yes. Um, that year, of course, Holland had won the the European Championships. How did it feel to to sort of be involved with these guys at that level? It must have been quite awe inspiring at various times in such an early career for you. Yeah, it it was. Uh, I was the first new player to to come into that team. Uh, Arnold Muren, he was 36 when they won the European Championship. So after that. He, he he finished his career, so the left wing position was open, and uh, a few candidates for that. I was uh, the first one who got the opportunity, and uh, yeah, against Italy it went well, and so I got a good report, and uh, the coach liked it, so I stayed with the team, and we had some some big games qualifying for the for Italy. Uh, West Germany we played at that time yeah. a lot of pressure on that game because both last game we played each other and both teams needed a point so we went 1-0 down and in the second half we made 1-1 and we both qualified in the end but right. a lot of pressure on, on that game I remember and uh, unfortunately I got injured just before the world championships in Italy they changed the coach as well and I was just back three, four weeks before that championship, but he chose a player from Ajax instead because uh, he he had been playing all season. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was, I was very unlucky to miss miss that, but uh, yeah, that's how it went. And after that, I came back to the team, and uh, just uh, I was involved until '92, the, the the European Championships in Sweden. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, I got injured again just before that and I missed it again. And then Overmars came and, yeah, he was a very good player and he did well and he took over my position. And uh, after Sweden, I never came back into the team. I was in Japan. I was a little bit further away. So it was uh, yeah, a lot of good players also coming through on that position after that. Do you think that the the move to Japan perhaps hampered the 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 chances of you being selected again after 19? Yeah, yeah. In hindsight, yes, it did. Yes, it did for sure. And well, yeah, that's how it went. Uh, yeah, I have no regrets for that. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it would have been nice to play a few more. But I still have eight caps, so that's not everybody has that. So Indeed. I'm happy with Absolutely. that. Best Dutch player you've played with? 
Yeah, difficult to say. I, I, when I came in, it was uh, Van Basten, Gullit, Rijkaard, of course, Koeman in that team, all great players. Indeed. So if I had to choose, probably Van Basten. Yeah, he was special uh, striker, uh, decisive, uh, brutal, but Quite also clinical, wasn't he? Also, yeah, clinical, but also very refined uh, in his technique. Uh-huh. A nice guy, also. I did the course with him. I was assistant coach with him in the, at Ajax. So. I have a special band bond with him also. So I would choose him, yeah. That's the I most remember, special player. I remember when I was growing up, some say I still am. Uh, <laughs> the, Me too. The, <laughs> the, the, sorry, the three Dutch guys that played um, popularly with Milan, Rijkaard, uh, Rutulit and, and Van Basten. And they were the, the sort of three guys that you would you, I almost associated AC Milan with. Was 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 those three Dutch guys, particularly yeah. Hula? I thought he was a wonderful footballer. Yeah, a very good footballer, very good personality, nice guy also, and always working hard, uh, always helping others. Uh, so yeah, also very good guy. And it's always yeah. nice to see these guys, these so-called stars, yeah, being very modest, being very uh, hardworking, being very dedicated. Uh, not only looking at themselves, but also knowing that they're part of a team and they know they, they need the players around them. So they support these players also. So and that was nice to see. So the curtain comes down on your playing career and we, uh, we move into coaching. Tell us a little bit about how that happened for you. Yeah, it more or less started when I was in Japan. Um, Wim Janssen uh, is a coach, he, he's crazy about the game, uh, he wants to talk about the game, he wants to ask things about the game, uh, but his, he had two just uh, Japanese assistants who didn't speak English very well, so I was more or less his soundboard, uh, he wanted yeah. to know from me how was uh-huh. the training, he wanted to know from me what you feel in the game, how did the tactics work, uh, he wanted to explain his exercises to me. So. By doing that, he more or less, um, yeah, woke me up for what's involved in being a coach, uh, being a manager, and he, yeah, he instilled some passion for that into me. So when I came back to, when I played in Belgium, I immediately started to do the courses. I went up and down from Belgium to Holland uh, to do the courses. Uh, to become a coach so uh, yeah and, and more and more and more uh, i felt that i was wanted to become a coach and yeah that that's how it happened that's how it started and when i finished my career immediately i had the chance to work with the dutch national team under 17 right. uh, as an assistant coach so uh, I was lucky because they said it was a bad uh, bad group at that time, not a lot of talent, but when you look in hindsight with Van de Vaart, with, with Huntelaar, with Van Persie, with, uh, it wasn't the worst group ever. No, it was not. <laughs> so that, that was my debut uh, European Championships under 17 in, uh, in Israel. And I liked it a lot. Uh, so I was uh, ready to become a, a coach. I was went to Groningen. I did under 19s there, became an assistant uh, at Vitesse, an assistant at Ajax, and then became the head coach myself. So, yeah, that's more or less how it went. Uh, steady, steady climb up the managerial ladder. Excellent. So, the, you've kind of, you, you've taken a bit of a similar route to, to what Walter Smith took, ironically enough, being assistant for a couple of years and then being, a, being the top man yourself. Yeah. Um, how did you how did you find the, the transition of being assistant and then suddenly being the guy that everyone takes the orders from and everyone looks up to? Uh, first of all, I think it's a requirement. If you want to become a good manager, you have to become a coach, a youth coach, preferably yeah. first. And then you have to be lucky enough that you can assist a very good head coach or a very good manager. And then hopefully, after four or five years, you're ready to become a manager yourself. Because being a manager, it's completely different yeah. than being a youth coach. It's completely different than being an assistant coach. Because 
from the moment you become a manager, everybody's looking at you. Everybody expects the decisions from you. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to be ready for that. And it's very difficult. I sometimes have uh, pity with players who stop their career and immediately become a manager. I know yeah. it must be hell for them. I know it must be very difficult. And I know they must sit at home in the evening knowing for all what happens, what uh, no control, nothing whatsoever. What do I do now? What I do tomorrow? What do I say to the press? What do I do with the players? Uh, it's it's so much involved in, in, in a managerial position. Yeah. You have to be really ready for it and you have to understand the process. Because it can, I think from a, a supporter's point of view, you're very aware that um, everything can change so very quickly. And um, like it or not, football supporters are a fickle bunch. You can be um, flavour of the month one week and you're only one result away from not being the same flavour of the month. So um, it's it's very much a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is, yeah. I'm In many ways, I'm a supporter myself, so... I can also be critical uh, about managers, but uh, when I think of it, I know also uh, what's uh, what kind of pressures, what kind of powers are are, are playing around them. Uh, uh, people within the clubs who who want to have a little bit of power, who want to earn a little bit more money, who agents, uh, players. Uh, directors uh, everybody wants to have a say and everybody wants to be important but in the end especially at the football end of it it's the manager who's responsible and that's something also you have to accept when you go into that position you uh, you have to understand very much what you can influence yeah and that's very important stick to that as a head coach, maybe that's one of the mistakes when I what that I made in the beginning when I was still younger. I wouldn't make that again. But you can only influence what you what you can really what's within your reach, and, and, and put all your energy into that and not into the other things. And yeah, accept it when things are not going well. Uh, it can have many reasons. You can try to fix it, but uh, if the pressures are too big, then yeah, you have to accept also resignation that it's part of the job, I think. Have you found uh, huge differences in the varying football cultures uh, that you've been around? So we know you've been in Holland, Scotland, Japan, currently in Uzbekistan, of course. You've done a bit of coaching in Belgium as well, which I'll come to in a second. Do you find that the the general philosophies in each of these different countries is or has been different as you as you've progressed in your coaching career. Yeah, I see. When you somewhere as a coach, first of all, you speak to the people and the, the, you ask about the philosophy. And in Europe, many clubs they have some sort of philosophy. Some have a little bit. Some have quite a lot. Uh, and, and then you can decide: Do I fit in that, or do I don't? Or don't do I not fit into that then you can make a decision when you go to Asia uh, they more or less expect you to bring the philosophy to to bring the 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 methodology to to bring the players to bring the, the 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 exercises the training programs and everything the people the experts so they expect more from you in that way um, you have to set it up. That's what I see a lot in Asia. I, I was technical director in Indonesia. You have to set things up. You have to really first examine what what they do, what what's there already, and then you have to make a setup that in, uh, you have to create an environment in which, especially, talents can grow. Yeah. And, and in Asia. The, the big difference between Asia and Europe is that the academy level is completely different. In many countries in Asia, there is no academy level, there is no structure, there is no under 17, under 15, under 13 league. Right, okay. So they have to grow into that. Uh, but uh, 
um, yeah, that, so, so that's a big difference. But yeah, on the other hand, if you play in top football and now in Pachtekor, it's the champion of Uzbekistan. We, we play a good game in, in the Asian Champions League as well. So uh, then you more or less have the same tensions, the same pressures, um, the same challenges as you have in Europe. So at top level, you just want to win and you want to be stronger and more clever and, than the opponent and win the games. You want to go to the final of the Asian Champions League. So it's the same as in Europe. So before we cover um, on Uzbekistan, where you are just now, I just want to ask you something very quickly about um, Belgium. Uh, I'm a great fan of the Belgium national team and the way that they play and the amount of good players that they have in De Bruyne, I would suggest they've got one of the best players in the world, if not the best. What are they doing in Belgium, firstly, with regards to producing such good players? But secondly, are they ever going to have that last step to actually win anything? Yeah, not a, I, I was just at, I was at the right time in Belgium uh, when I was there in '97. Uh, uh, I arrived there. They just completely reorganized the whole youth football in Belgium. Okay. They organized youth leagues. Uh, they changed the game at youth level. My son Eric, uh, he was at that time. He was uh, for four or five years old. So we wanted to play. Um, he wanted to play football. So we went in the village where we lived in Belgium. We went to the local club and uh, we asked them, "What can he join?" Yeah, no problem. Uh, we, we we phoned on Wednesday and he could play on on Saturday. Uh, he could train immediately. Um, if you went to the training, it was very good. They played five aside games on the quarter field, so they got a lot of touches. These kids, so they got into it straight away and. All over Belgium, like in Holland also, they they were playing football on Saturday, on Sunday, and the children brought up with football. And yeah, Belgium was comparable to Holland uh, just before that. Uh, they also had some many people coming into Belgium uh, from the from the colonies um, coming to Belgium. They also wanted to play. They didn't have much money. They weren't the richest people, so. The football was for them a good uh, way of uh, building something, being good at something. So many of the Belgian players, uh, Lukaku, company, uh, also come from these kinds of families who who, who built up the Belgian football. And uh, so they copied a little bit the Dutch system. They made it maybe even better than the Dutch system at that time. Um, But it was successful for them. But it's just hard work from four, five-year-olds and then on to uh, to the highest level. Indeed. It's fascinating that, that Belgium have such a, a wonderful crop of, of footballers currently, but you, you almost would never pick them to win anything. You just don't believe that they've got that sort of sixth gear, if you like, to, to, to win, bizarrely yeah. enough. And, um, they've got so many good players. Uh, okay, on to, to current day. You are currently in Uzbekistan um, with a gentleman called Shotar Valadze, who the Rangers fans know very, very fondly. Um, speak to us a little bit about Tashkent in Uzbekistan. Yeah, to be honest, uh, before I went to Uzbekistan, I never heard of it. So <laughs> I didn't know much about it. Uh, I had to find out about Uzbekistan, about Tashkent. I had to find out about Pachtekor. But uh, Pachtkor, uh, as it turns out, it was the only club from Uzbekistan who played in the Soviet first division. Okay. And uh, they also, a few times, they had uh, a team that could also challenge for the first position. So, more or less, it was the team of Uzbekistan. Um, so, they, they had that advantage. Uh, when Uzbekistan became independent, uh, it was always from '91 till now. Pachtekor was always one of the contenders, and uh, yeah, the last two years before we came, it it, it went a little bit down. The previous owner, uh, you know, let it slip a little bit. A new owner came in. It was the first time a private owner did it instead of government. 
and he wanted to restore and he brought in Shota. He, Shota made his team of coaches, he made his team of players and uh, yeah, I was one of the coaches, he asked to come and uh, oh, yeah, I don't regret it, we have a good, very good international coaching team, uh, we can work very well, uh, everything's here, so uh, the results are there, we have, a, we have a nice team, a lot of international Uzbek players, a lot of football in it. Yeah. Um, so uh, we like to compare us a little bit with uh, the Guardiola teams. Uh, that's the way we want to play. So uh, cool. <laughs> that's nice. Uh, and at this level, it's possible to do that. So uh, yeah, we, we 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 enjoy it. It's uh, it's nice. It's good. We have a, we have a, we we do it with a lot of pleasure. Did you know shorter um, previously from his time in Dutch football? No, strangely enough, not. Uh, although we both were at Ajax and at Rangers, uh, we were at different times at these clubs. So we, we first uh, time we met was in Tashkent. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that's that's how it went. Yeah. I think a, a lasting memory for a lot of Rangers fans, and hopefully I'm not alone in saying this. One of the the, the main memories that we'll always have of Shota is um is I'm dancing. <laughs> um, so, so when you see him next, you can you can be sure to ask him to to give you a wee jig around the table. Um, see if it gives as much hilarity to you as it did over here. <laughs> I um, will, I will. You have a special Georgian dance? Is that the one you mean? It, listen, it may be a special Georgian dance. If I've insulted <laughs> anyone, I certainly don't intend to. <laughs> <laughs> so, just we're we're just about there now. A couple of last wee questions for you. Um, if there's anything that you would have changed or is there rather anything that you would have changed in your career that you've done whether it's leave a club early or take a different opportunity or a different route um what would that be do you think i to be honest i'm very happy about the way everything went Uh, i've never had a bossman so that's maybe something uh, that would have been better um uh, I had some opportunities to go to one of the top clubs in in Holland. Uh, it would have been nice if that could have come true, because that's what every boy who plays in Holland, who lives in Holland, wants to play for Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV. Uh, that's normal. But I played for Rangers, great club. Uh, uh, I, I won uh, I won medals in Belgium. Uh, we had a very good team in Japan. Played the All Star games there. It was great. Um, so no, I have no regrets. I played for the national team at at, at the height of their capacity at, at at the form. So no, it was it was good. Uh, the one thing I'm now um, working at is to become as good as possible as a manager and. Uh, yeah, that's also very interesting. That's even more interesting, maybe even than uh, just being a good player, because a manager, so much aspects that you have to understand, uh, that you have to be able to handle. Um, you have to read the situations. Uh, so it's very complicated, but that's also the challenge to 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 understand all these kind of things and. Yeah, and the most important as a manager, I think, is as a coach, is that you have to help players. And I have a lot of joy in that. I have a lot of joy when a young player at Pachtekar is selected for the national team here. Yeah. So that's always, uh, yeah, <laughs> it gives me the biggest pleasure, to be honest. And if you win a few medals also, it's also good. But uh, yeah, it's not a bad life. It's okay. Indeed. So, listen, before we, we let you go, um, is there any words that you'd like to give for the, the Rangers fans who are listening? Um, a wee hi to them. Yeah, of course, uh, especially to all the people I know, of course. Uh, I know they're fanatic about their club. They always will be, and uh, that's what I appreciate a lot. Uh, that's what I got from them. So, Rangers results always the first one I'm looking at as well. But... Uh, yeah, I'm sure in the next few years uh, there will be a championship again for Rangers. The way they gradually built the, the club now, the team, I think uh, will not take long before the 
the, the championship go back to Rangers and Shota and myself, if we're still here in Uzbekistan, we will uh, make a nice party if it happens You're right. and, other, and otherwise we uh, we do it somewhere else. But uh, as, as Shota as well, uh, we, we both have the club in our heart and uh, yeah, we will always follow it. So we wish everybody well. What we'll do for that party is that I'll get myself and my colleagues at This Is Ibrox and we'll gladly make the trip to Uzbekistan for that party. Okay, very good. We do that. (laughs) Okay, Peter, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the podcast tonight. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Cheers, Peter. Thanks.